the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Well, they did it. The Arizona Diamondbacks clinched a playoff spot. Not exactly the way you want to do it, though. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner with me. He covers the team at ArizonaSports.com. Uh, not the way you typically want to go into the playoffs, Alex. Falling into the playoffs. Yeah, you're right. They definitely would have rather have won uh, to get in. They lost on Saturday night against the Houston Astros, one nothing. But during the game is when they clinched. I mean, there was still, I think, the eighth inning uh, or maybe the top of the ninth inning when they put the big clinched sign on the big screen at Chase Field because all they needed was either a win or a Reds loss. And the Reds lost pretty badly to the St. Louis Cardinals. They were down 10 nothing in the second inning before the D-backs game even started. And then... They kind of chipped away at it a little bit, but then the Cardinals pull away late and win 15-6. to So, uh, yeah, there was definitely a, a moment of realization during the Diamondbacks game that they had made the postseason. Not the way you want to back in. They've lost three games in a row, but as Mike Hazen said uh, during the celebration last night, they put themselves in position to force their opponents to play perfect over the final week of the season, and that has been far from the case from teams like the Reds and the Cubs. Uh, and so no one challenge them now going into the last day of the regular season they're in uh they'll continue to play tuesday and wednesday at least and now we'll have to see who they play yeah i mean listen i don't want to sound ungrateful or um like this season you know somehow is worse because they fell into the playoffs you're in that's all it really took for me i i think this team is as it stands right now i think they're still ahead of schedule from where i thought they were a year ago Mm -hmm. um so i'm not going to complain about it here's the problem though You're heading into the postseason for the first time since 2017. And you and I talked last week about how in 2017, they kind of screwed themselves in the division series against the Dodgers because in the wild card game, they pitched both Zach Granke and Robbie Ray, who at the time were really their only two reliable pitchers that season. Then you end up going into the Dodgers series. You're already way behind the eight ball because your two best guys couldn't go. As it stands right now, Zach Gallen went Friday night. I think he had six and a third or something like that innings pitched. Merrill Kelly went last night. Full start for him as well. They didn't win either of those games. They didn't clinch before those games either, which would have been nice so that they could have saved one of those guys for Tuesday for game one. As it stands now, you can't throw either of those guys in game one, I would think. Leaving the door open for Brandon Fought maybe in game one on Tuesday. Is that the plan? Uh that seems to make sense. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it'll either be fought or an opener or some sort of piece together something. I mean, it's it's very interesting. So Tori said this week that the that the starting rotation is Gallon Kelly TBA, and so how they piece together the rest of those innings. <laughs> Not I mean, good. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's 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 wild that they made it to the postseason going in with a rotation of two that you're kind of willing to say this is our rotation and then piece it together. My, I imagine it would be fought starting or they'll use like an opener depending on who they play. Maybe they're more likely to use an opener against the Phillies than the Brewers, but um, we can get to that later. But yeah, you're right. They didn't take care of business early enough to save themselves from this problem. I mean, they could have done it by beating the White Sox on Thursday in the series finale. They didn't. They lose 3 nothing. You know, last game of a long road trip with horrible weather, a game that wasn't even supposed to happen that day and, you know, whatever. But then they come back home and the bats just, they, it looked like an anxious approach for a lot of the game. They kind of got back into it late, but couldn't scratch across a couple runs and Jeremy Pena made one of the best plays I've seen this year. And then last night, 
I mean, at that point, it doesn't even matter. At that point, you've already used Kelly. So instead of going Kelly, Gallon, games one and two, now it's, we'll see in game one, Gallon in game two, and Kelly in game three. If there is a game three, because there's no guarantee there's a game three. It's the best of three series. So that definitely puts them behind, especially when they're going to play a team. If they play the Brewers, then you're going to get Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. Or if you play the Phillies, then you're going to get Wheeler, Nola, and then whomever they decide to go third, Suarez. So either way, you're going to get, match it up. Yeah. You're gonna get the best yeah. from the opposing team either way. And that's what kind of sucks about all this. And again, I'm not trying to be ungrateful here. Good season. But the way that I feel heading into the postseason is like I'll always look back at the 2023 Diamondbacks season as the year they made the postseason despite their pitching. And you're going into the postseason now, and you're going to be playing one of those two teams you mentioned with really good top two in their rotation, in the Brewers' case, top three. And you're going to get their best in game one, and you don't have your best. You don't even have your second best. You have a rookie. And no offense to Brandon Fott, I think he's been really good lately. And he might give them a chance to win that game, to be honest with you. Um, But it is not the scenario that you wanted going into the playoffs because the it's been six years since they made the playoffs. And this is how I felt six years ago. Like not only were the Dodgers a better team in 2017 and every year since, but you also were just kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball. And I guess I kind of feel that way heading into Tuesday. I'm like, I don't, I almost don't expect them to win because well, we're pitching a rookie who wasn't even on the roster in May. And he's pitching game game one. Uh, I mean, there's an off chance they don't go with Fott. I guess you could throw Ryan Nelson if he doesn't pitch today in the last game of the season. That doesn't really matter. Um, but he's got atrocious numbers from this season. In particular at home, you pointed out the road stats to me. He's actually better on the road. But I don't know that that makes me feel any better either. So, I don't know. 2023 season's always going to feel to me like that team that made the playoffs despite the pitching staff. I guess so, but it's also... It kind of has come in waves, right? Because there have been times where the starting pitching has been pretty good. Because there were stretches where Ryan Nelson was pitching well. Tommy Henry was pitching well before he got hurt. Gallon was in the Cy Young race for much of this season, even if you know that Dodgers and Orioles starts probably knocked him back a little bit. Kelly, you know, when he wasn't hurt, has been excellent. So the starting pitching in stretches this season, even outside of Gallon and Kelly, has been good at parts but it has been kind of piecing together rotation they got you know they ditched Madison Bumgarner early just this past week they got rid of Zach Davies and so they're kind of going in they're like we'd rather have the extra bullpen arm than the extra starter who they can't trust so and then that goes for the bullpen too I mean the bullpen starts off the year really well miserable middle of the season uh as far as just like from like July into the middle of August, just a really tough stretch for the bullpen. And then they've been unbelievable for the last six weeks. And they have options now. They lefties and righties and Andrew Salfrank's been a huge addition. So has Ryan Thompson. Seawald has really been, you know, excellent in the back end, especially lately. So yeah, it, it's sort of like they have all these like kind of moving parts where sometimes the offense comes and goes, sometimes the pitching comes and goes. Um, but they've been able to kind of put it together and scratch out enough wins to get to this point. But you're right. It's, you know, they're going to be one of the underdogs of this postseason, but they're also one of the youngest teams of this postseason who are probably a little bit ahead of schedule. And that's just kind of how it is. You're going to go up against teams that are a little bit more developed than you. Tori Lavello probably really wishes that they had gone and gotten a starter at the trade deadline. I mean, I'm sure you they and all I, have. I'm you, sure they all did. You yeah. and I talked about it a lot. I mean, the prices were ridiculous for some of the pitchers. Some of them who got moved ended up being terrible anyway. Like Lucas Giolito was one of the most 
beloved pitchers at the trade deadline, and he ended up getting cut. Jack Flaherty's in the bullpen now. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess, but I, I just... They're, in the scenario that we knew they were in, the end game looks exactly like I pictured it. You're going into the playoffs with two starting pitchers. I just was hoping one of them would be available for game one. Probably not. Um, if you look at how players are doing lately, I'm just looking at like the last two weeks. The Diamondbacks have two and a half good players right now in their lineup. Corbin Carroll's been really good over the last two weeks. Uh, he scored 12 runs in the last two weeks. That's huge. Cattell Marte's been really good as well. Hitting 333, three home runs. Christian Walker hitting 214, but he's driven in 11 guys. So he's kind of the heart of your middle of your lineup. That's what's going for the Diamondbacks. Let's say you play the Brewers. Christian Yelich has been very good the last two weeks. Carlos Santana's been very good. Forgot he was on the Brewers, by the way. William Contreras, we talked about last week. Blake Perkins came out of nowhere, has been pretty good the last two weeks. Valley Kid. They've got four or five guys in their lineup right now that are rolling. A little bit more to say than the Diamondbacks. Now, if you look at the Phillies, we know Bryce Harper. I mean, he's a top 10 player in baseball in the last two weeks. Nick Castellanos, kind of the same. He's a top 20 player in baseball. Five home runs in the last two weeks. You've got Real Muto. Kyle Schwarber is the first ever baseball player to hit below 200 and drive in 100 guys. That's insane. Uh, no you, singles. Uh, Absolutely no singles. He's got. I think he had more homers than singles. Probably. Over the course of the season, or he's very, very close. Um, Alec Bohm, Trey Turner still in that lineup. Brandon Marsh has had a pretty nice season as well. So I'm with you, man. If you're facing the Phillies, that is a dire lineup to face. I'd rather face the Brewers, but as of right now, the Brewers actually have more going for them than I think the Diamondbacks do in terms of how their hitters have performed over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, they're both, both offenses are, are kind of come and go a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it, with the Brewers and the Phillies, it's... It's such an interesting juxtaposition because the Phillies, I mean, their lineup, it can be nine deep on the right day. I mean, it, it is that scary. And the Brewers, it's it's just not quite that. It's more of like a league average-ish offense. Getting Mark Hanna and Carlos Santana, who you mentioned, at the deadline really helped. But uh, it, yeah, it's still... If you go into that series, I feel like with more of an uncertain pitching staff and sort of the idea that they're going to piece it together, I feel like you're more equipped to do that than to throw out a rookie against Bryce Harper in front of an incredibly loud Philadelphia crowd. And um, both atmospheres will be terrific. But yeah, I, I feel like that's a little bit more palatable in that sense where you can feel like you can scratch out a 3-2 to two win or a 4-3 to three win or a 2-1 to one win. And it, and it feels a little bit more attainable in that sense just for that first game. They're going to have to piece together. So, But you're right. I mean, both offenses, I mean, both teams... They're, they are where they are for a reason, and this is a Brewer squad that's been to the postseason, I think, three times now in the last few years. Uh, it's you know a little bit different parts offensively, but they still have a couple guys you can really lean on. Um, and so the Diamondbacks at the top of their order, you mentioned Corbin, Corbin and Cattell. Uh, they, they definitely need some guys to kind of step it up in the back end there because... Uh, and, and even in like at the end of August and into September and kind of going into this final stretch... They've had guys get hot. Like, Lourdes Gurriel was hot for a stretch here. And Tommy Pham had a couple huge hits. I mean, that Chicago series stands out. So they just kind of need to put it together in order to win these games. And um, so far, they haven't, at least this week. I mean, they've scored three runs uh, against... Actually, not three runs. They've scored... Yeah, one one run in the last three games. scored two runs in the past three games. Two runs in the past three games? They lost three to one, two to one, and one to nothing. 
Three to, yeah, that's right. They scored at the end. So okay, two so. runs in three games. And even if you include the win in game two against Chicago, that's still only five runs in four games. Yeah. Not good. No. As opposed to, I mean, listen, we're talking about the Brewers, right? The Brewers lost last night 10-6. to six. They scored more runs in their loss last night than the Diamondbacks have in their last four games combined. Against the Cubs team desperate to win as many games as they can after it got eliminated. The Philadelphia Phillies lost last night 11-4. to four. They lost the night before 4-3. to three. That's seven runs in two games. I mean, yeah. this, these are the numbers that were, that were kind of, like you said, it's an interesting juxtaposition um, to compare these teams. But, I mean, none of them are particularly hot in the win column. The Phillies have lost three games in a row. Uh, they've got one more today as well. The Brewers, they won three in a row, but then lost last night. So I guess they yeah, have but they both, the most momentum. They both clinched. They both clinched already. Yeah. So it's 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 not like these games mean much to them. Because they both not only clinched their spots, but they clinched their seeds pretty much. Right. Um, the they're not trying not, as hard. Yeah, they're not. It's not full throttle as as Tori Labello has been calling what the Dimebacks have been in. So God, if this I is full throttle, then we're gonna need another. <laughs> as level. far as the as far as the bullpen usage and trying to match guys up, that's kind of how it, he's been looking at it um, and playing guys every single day. Like Gabriel Moreno has been playing an unbelievable amount of games as a catcher. Uh, Good, kind of keep this going. And yeah, you're right. It's you're what like twenty. 20- Three years old? I don't know how old he is. He's very He's 23. Young. Yeah, so he's a good guess by me. So you're 23 years old and you're in the playoffs? Good. Play every day. Yeah. Good. And then he I don't want to see today. Jose Herrera out there. No offense to Jose Herrera, who my understanding is he'll be the backup catcher in the postseason because Correct. Zavala's right now it's Sebi Zavala, but yeah. He's not eligible for the postseason roster. But yeah, I don't want to see Herrera in the playoffs. I want to see Moreno. So, and you know, he deserves it. He's been one of the better catchers, especially in the National League. Uh, the kid might win a gold glove this year. There's a chance of that. Uh, he's been hitting, uh, what was Moreno's number? He's hitting 284 this season. Catchers don't hit 284. When was the last time a Diamondbacks catcher hit 284? Never? <laughs> I mean, I'm not even sure. I have they to go have. into that one. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he's been he's been everything they could have asked for him yeah. to be this season and just a really disciplined approach going the other way. But um yeah, no, this is this is full throttle. This is what it looks like. I mean, it's what the personnel that they have. Love it. Um, that's kind of how they've had to manage things. I mean, look at the bullpen management. They've had bullpen games. They've taken out Zach Davies after three innings. They've taken, you know, Ryan Nelson or uh, Brandon Fodd out after four or five innings to kind of piece it together. And the bullpen's been really good. So um, honestly, maybe that's been a little the bit strategy different. in game one. Just piece together the bullpen. I'm sure that's well, going to be an element of it. Maybe yeah. you throw Fodd and you go four innings. And you say, "Hey, two two rotations through the order." That would be my best guess, is what. We and then see, we'll yeah. and then we'll hit the bullpen, and you know maybe Saul Frank makes an appearance. He still hasn't given up a run, has he? Mm-mm. Uh, unbelievable. He came debut in debut for him. He came in in a two run game on Friday night to face Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Pretty good, pretty good hitters. Got him out. Just yeah, sharp ground out from Alvarez, and he struck out Tucker. They might have struck gold with Saul Frank, to be honest with you. And yeah, I mean, if your bullpen is on fire the way that it is, maybe you you rely more on that than your starting rotation. You could throw fought for four innings and then hope that, you know, I would imagine then Gallon would get game two and then Kelly would get game three. Yeah, that's how it lines up. Yeah. So that's probably what we're looking at. Listen, I know there's another game today. You're on your way to the ballpark here in just a few minutes, actually. Uh, this game doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things uh yeah. games elsewhere will help determine whether the diamondbacks play the phillies or the brewers can you lay that scenario out real quick so as it stands now if the diamondbacks lose today on the final day of the regular season they're going to milwaukee because then they won't be able to catch the marlins if they win and the marlins lose 
they'll go to Philadelphia because at least, you know, Bob Nightingale reported last night that there's probably not going to be a makeup for that Mets Marlins rain fiasco that happened on Thursday where it rained out in the ninth inning and they couldn't get the tarp back on the field when they had a break and all this stuff going on and they ended up postponing the game. That was two to one in the ninth inning and there was no time to make it up except for Monday after the regular season ends. If if they just push that to the side, if that's kind of a wash, um, then if the Dimebacks win and the Marlins lose the last game of the regular season, the Dimebacks will go to Philadelphia. But if the D-backs lose or the Marlins win, the D-backs are going to Milwaukee. Can I just be honest? I'm kind of rooting for a D-backs loss today. <laughs> just solidify the Brewers. And I don't feel good about it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I never want that. I mean, but... Knowing that this game is going to be a bullpen game, you're going to see some guys. I would even imagine in the lineup, they're probably going to give a couple guys a day off, right? Today? A couple regulars. I mean, that'd be my guess, yeah. Yeah, like we're going to see, like Jace Peterson will start today. No offense to Jace Peterson, but... I mean, he's been a starter against right-handed pitching. Okay, fair enough. So. Uh, we're going to see a lot of probably the bench Lawler. guys. And okay, Lawler. Sevi Savala and... Yeah. Yeah, Jake so, McCarthy. So, I, you know... That'd be my guess. Listen, I'm not, I never root for my team to lose. It's just in this particular scenario, I'd rather play the Brewers. And that seems like the more likely scenario is Brewers rather than Phillies. Yeah, there would um, have to be more go right, I guess, in, yeah. in, that, in that kind of definition of it. Um, to kind of wrap up the season, because again, there is a game today, doesn't really play a huge role. We, we know how we feel about the season as a whole at this point. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a couple of things that really define the season. Number one is the Varsho trade from last year, and we talked about this last week too, where you trade arguably your second best player from last season. I would say Christian Walker was probably up there too. Um, You trade a guy who won a gold glove, uh, a guy who hit 27 home runs. Varsha won a gold glove last year? Did he win a gold glove? I thought he did. I don't think he did. Did he not win it? Oh, okay. He was a candidate though at... uh, He'll always be. He's a great defensive player. Well, he was a candidate in the utility, the new utility slot, wasn't he? I don't know if he won it. Maybe that was somebody else. Yeah, no, not he's a gold glove. He's a gold glove candidate, though. Sorry. Every year he'll be a gold Thanks glove candidate. Thanks for calling me on though. that. Yeah, he will be. And and you know what? He has been so far this year for Toronto. But the difference is what they did with that trade was fundamentally alter the makeup of their lineup by going and getting Moreno, who we've talked ad nauseum about. And he means so much to this core lineup. And then Gurriel as well, who makes the all-star team, had a phenomenal first half, I think has had a bit of a resurgence in the second half. I think he's back to being himself. Uh, He ends the year with 24 home runs. 81 RBIs is fine. Uh, He hit 260. It's a little low for his career averages. Um, Would have liked to have seen him on base a little bit more. But overall, 107 OPS plus, that's above average. They got two really nice pieces in the Varsho trade that, it's hard when you're a bad team to trade one of your best players. Somehow they made it work, and now they're on their way to the playoffs, and I think that plays a huge role in that. Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, it was an ambitious deal, just given what Varsho meant to them last year, but at the time it was like, okay, if this works out, you have a middle-of-the-order bat for the entire season, and we'll see what happens going forward, because he's not under contract next year. And then you have your catcher of the future, so a guy who's under team control through twenty until 2029, uh, 23 years old and you know if it works it works and going into the season I think they thought it, he was going to split with Carson Kelly Kelly gets hurt Moreno has to play a lot in the first half and he's he impresses um hit some lumps offensively towards the end of that stretch and uh Kelly comes back and Moreno's a little bit fatigued he eventually goes on the IL with a shoulder thing comes back and has been unbelievable since he's come back so you're absolutely right it's that's 
And if just look at his record when Moreno plays versus when he doesn't play. I don't know what it is right now, but it's been a standout at all season long. So you're right. It, it, it changed a lot about how they can match up by adding a couple of righties to a lineup that Harry had, you know, Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas and, you know, at the time, Josh Rojas and Jake McCarthy. And it, it gave you a little bit more optionality. And they continue to do that by getting Tommy Pham at the deadline. But yeah, you're right. It just given what Gurriel gave to you in the first two months of the season and now what Moreno offensively has given you in the last two months and defensively all year, it it, it made a huge difference. It's the reason why it's one of the reasons why they are where they are. Uh, you mentioned uh, Carson Kelly. He plays into another thing that really defined the season for me, and that's the ruthlessness of the front office at times. And what I, and I mean that in the best way. They were willing this season to move off of guys that they have been loyal to in the past, almost to a fault. Madison Bumgarner got a really long leash in Arizona, was never very good in a Diamondbacks uniform. I would argue he hasn't been good since 2016, and that's now seven years ago. So uh, we could talk about that all day long, but I think the proof is in the pudding. Nobody's picked up Bumgarner since. So I think the league kind of acknowledged, too, that the Diamondbacks made the right decision in moving off of Bumgarner after only a handful of starts this year. He was on a short leash. They moved off of Nick Ahmed later in the year, but still, they moved off of Nick Ahmed, the longest tenured player in Diamondbacks history. I think that that took guts, and I think that it, I think it's difficult. It's a difficult decision because they love the player. They love the person. Um, Carson Kelly a guy who they traded their franchise's best player for. The key piece in that trade with the Cardinals was Carson Kelly, and they were willing to move off of him, even at a time even at a time that they really could have used a backup catcher because Moreno was hurt in the middle of the season. They still decided, you know what? We love Moreno enough to the point where we got to play him more and we can cut Carson. End of the season, Zach Davies, I guess that was a little late. I don't know if I throw that in the mix, but they've made ruthless decisions throughout this season because they recognized how ahead of schedule they might have been, and they wanted this team to be in contention. And Torrey Lovello's been very loyal in his tenure to a lot of veteran players, and this year in particular, I felt that they were willing to go away from that a little bit in favor of trying to win more games. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. Um, it, it is very different, right? Even how they're managing the bullpen right now and how it's like, oh, it's just totally unorthodox. This is kind of totally unlike them, but it's a way to adapt to the new situation where it's not 2021 and you're not in a race anymore. Every single inning can lead up to them clinching or not. Um, Because at the end of the day, at the end of the regular season, they're going to make the playoffs by like a game or maybe two. We'll we'll see how it ends up with the Reds and the Cubs and whatnot. But it's ultimately going to come down to like they won these extra little inches throughout the season and that led to them making the postseason. And maybe they don't if Madison Bumgarner gets a longer leash. Um, as great of a career it was, it wasn't working. Um, or if, you know, Moreno wasn't in the lineup like every single day of the past like two and a half weeks, maybe you don't win another one of those games. And so, yeah, you're right. Just to have that kind of like the ambition to do everything you possibly can. And I think the Nick Ahmed move kind of like highlights this because it's not a move that necessarily panned out either. It's not like they've been playing Lawler a whole lot. Um, He struggled early and they've kind of moved off of him. But even then it was like, okay, the risk reward factor here versus what they possibly could get to up their chances versus what they were getting out of Ahmed, who was really struggling against left-handed pitching. And that was his role. Um, 
it, it kind of shows the different mindset. So, yeah, it's, I'm curious what this means for them going forward, too, because this is a year where they're ahead of schedule, but they saw an opportunity. The goal all year has been be buyers at the deadline and play competitive baseball in September. They did that and they surpassed that goal by making the postseason. Um, I wonder if that changes how anything operates kind of going forward now, if they understand that this could be a sustainable thing where they're going to be a contender, maybe in a way that's more sustainable than they were in 17, when it was a more veteran laden team and they lost JD Martinez in free agency and Granky was getting older. And now it's a young core with a few veteran pieces kind of to support it. Now, what does that look like going forward as far as how they can construct the roster, what kind of moves they can make? I firmly believe that the third prong on this fork that is the 2023 season, without this guy, none of this happens this season. And that's Corbin Carroll. We all knew who he was coming up last se- late last season. We all knew he was top prospect in baseball. He's this little guy who packs a punch and he can fly. We, we knew all those things. He comes in. To this season at a time when, like we talked about, they'd moved on from Dalton Varsho, who for all intents and purposes was a comparable player, left-handed hitter, kind of shorter in the outfield, great glove, a bit of speed to him. Uh, They'd moved off of him in part because they knew what they had in Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy to some extent. Corbin Carroll comes up and doesn't just live up to the hype, but surpasses it. And he's going to be the rookie of the year in the National League. He had 645 plate appearances. Again, there's still one game to play, and he might play today. I don't know. Um, But he scored 116 runs. That's the most on the team by far. He had 161 hits. That's the most on the team. 30 doubles. I believe that's third on the team. 10 triples this season. By far the most on the team. 25 home runs for the for a little guy who packs a punch, man. He's second on the team in home runs. He also stole 54 bases. Holy cow, did Corbin Carroll impress me this season. And I don't think that they're anywhere near where they are right now without him. No, of course not. I mean, they bring up somebody who's going to be their best player in like four months. At the, like at the end of last season when they brought him up, it was, you know, he was 20, he's 23 right now. He was 22 when they brought him up. How quickly he has adapted to the game, to the major leagues. Um, it says a lot about kind of like the work that goes on behind the scenes and just the disciplined approach that he has and the unique talent that he has. But at the same time, it's not like he didn't go through lumps either. He started off really hot in the first half of the season, cooled off in after the all-star break, especially and then picked it back up. He, it's sort of that tug and pull with young players. It's like, okay, the league's going to adjust to you. What are you going to do to adjust to it? And he has. He's been their best offensive player down the stretch here, leading to them making to the postseason. So uh, it's been everything's been really, really impressive. Um, they were impressed with him going into the season, which is why they gave him an eight-year contract, which looks like a heck of a decision now. Um, he was in the MVP conversation, never like really like a favorite because um, Ronald Acuna has been absurd this year. And so is Mookie Betts. Acuna gets better. He continues True. to get better as the season goes on. Insane. But like it's like, oh, could Corbin Carroll be an MVP finalist the first half of the season? That quieted down a little bit, but uh, he's going to be the runaway rookie of the year. It's not even much of a debate. It might be unanimous at this point. Um, and he's somebody who like how trustworthy of a player has he proven himself to be to build around? For the foreseeable future, I mean, it's 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 been pretty astounding watching him. I mean, he's done stuff that no one's ever done before as a rookie. 
25 home runs and 50 bags. That's never been done before from a rookie. It's only been done a handful of times ever. So uh, it's it's been pretty cool to see somebody come up and have that kind of level of success already um, and be able to adjust to the league when the league makes its adjustments to you. And when you're 23, you can get better. I mean, I, I'm not trying to set the bar higher. Again, it sounds like I'm being ungrateful for the season he's had, but... Like he can, if he has 25 home runs this season in his first season, he could be a 30 home run guy. He could push that a little bit. He could get stronger going forward. Uh, he stole 54 bags. Could he? Could he have more than that in the future? Yeah. I mean, look at what the Braves just did with Ronald Acuna. The guy's got 70 stolen bases this season. I mean, they could they could let Corbin completely loose if they felt like that uh, he was going to get most of the bags he tries to take. Um, I feel good about it because I feel good that he can g- get even better, and he's that kind of. He has that kind of headspace where he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's not one of those flashy uh, players that's all about them. You know, it's funny during the regular season uh, on my weekend show, I said some. I asked a question simply, and this was during the peak Ellie De La Cruz hype. Remember, and they played each other yeah. in that hype. And I asked, would you rather have Ellie De La Cruz or Corbin Carroll? And I got so much crap from Cincinnati fans who were like, why would you ever take Corbin Carroll over Ellie De La Cruz? He's six foot five. He runs faster than anybody and he hits home runs. He's got the most amazing arm, all these things. I was like, yeah, all that is true. But now you look at the statistics and Corbin Carroll was consistent all the way throughout the season. Ellie De La Cruz is a great player. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have that guy on my team. But he's fallen off pretty dramatically since all that hype in the middle of the season. And Corbin just nose to the ground worked all season long like you don't have it's almost like the most amazing player that we don't have to talk about I mean like you and I have gone several podcasts sometimes without talking about Corbin it doesn't mean he's been bad it's just like oh yeah we expect that he's just that guy and I don't think you've had that since probably Paul Goldschmidt who was like the quiet superstar that you didn't really have to talk about because everyone just kind of knew it existed over there in the corner and that's something this team desperately needed and they're going to need moving forward. Yeah, I think that, I think that's 100%. Um, it's interesting with the De La Cruz thing. He's such a physical specimen. It's fun. It's yeah. fun to look at like the sprint speeds between Corbin and Ellie. I think Sarah Langs tweeted this the other day that it's like the top six fastest sprint speeds in the major leagues the last two years. And it's like, Number one, Corbin. Number two, Ellie. Number three, Corbin. Number two, four, Ellie. Number five, Corbin. Number six, Ellie. It's like, oh my goodness. Um, but you're right. No, Corbin has been the more established, as amazing as it is for a 23-year-old, major league player this season. He put together, he, he was in the opening day lineup, and he's in the lineup, he was in the lineup in game 161. He put together a complete superstar level season. Um, Ellie has great traits and has shown a lot of awesome flashes. He did, didn't come close to doing that. Um, he came up a little later too, but a lot of swing and miss, a lot of strikeouts. Um, Carroll just with kind of the mature approach that he always had, the ability to go the opposite way, to have power to all three fields, to use his speed as a weapon, even dropping down a couple of bunts for hits sometimes, even when sometimes there were kind of stretches where it's like, okay, maybe we're bunting a little too much. Um, but uh, to be able to kind of put together that kind of body of work in one full season as a rookie, it's... Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's really, really unique. It's, I think the Diamondbacks deserve some credit for how they handle them too. And I'm not just talking about this season or even last season. We found out throughout the course of the year through different reporting that Corbin spent obviously the 2020 season in town working with the Diamondbacks, but also you know in his injured season 
where he was at Chase Field every day, sitting behind home plate and analyzing the game and basically being a member of the Diamondbacks before ever getting called up. And it's an approach that I didn't really, I've never really seen that before because most guys, they're so busy. They're in the minor leagues. They're trying to play their way through double A and then triple A and then make their call up. And because Corbin spent a year in 2020 with everybody else where there was no baseball in the minor leagues and then missing that season due to injury with his shoulder, he was in a unique situation where they could welcome him into the organization without having to play him ever. And while it sucks that he didn't get to play because maybe he would have gotten called up even sooner and who knows where we'd be today. um, It's still pretty cool because the Diamondbacks made this decision that made him feel like a part of the team, which then maybe helps them in contract negotiations, which then maybe improves his play because he doesn't have to worry about the contract. It's a, it's a real domino effect of one decision that they made with him, which was we're going to treat this guy like he's a major leaguer before he ever even gets there. And that's not to say that you have to coddle these players or whatever. He was putting in the work. He was showing up to the games. He's like, I can't play because of my shoulder, but I can learn today. I can glean something off of the coaching staff today. I can learn something about my opponent today. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm baffled by Corbin Carroll. I think he's probably the biggest reason that this team is in the postseason this year. And I can't wait to see what he does in the postseason. I'm really hoping that they have... I mean, at least these three games to prove themselves in the postseason because anything can happen with this team uh, despite all the things that are going against them right now. The fact that they won't have their top two pitchers in game one, the fact that they might face a death lineup in Philadelphia, the the fact that they might face the top three guys in the starting rotation in in Milwaukee, um, all that aside, I, I don't care what happens from here on out. I think we all can be pretty proud of what happened with the Diamondbacks this season. I think it's a... It's an exceeded expectations kind of a year after, I mean, think about this. They lose 110 games in 2021. Um, Three teams, three teams have gone from 110 wins to the postseason in a three-year span. The Astros in 15, the Orioles this year, and the D-backs this year. This isn't a thing that happens, like, ever. Um, And so to kind of climb that mountain this quickly... Uh, it says a lot. And yes, sure, they have 84 wins. It's not the deepest run of wildcard teams. They've all been very close to each other for a long time, but it hasn't been a lot of teams that have been you know, separating themselves other than Philadelphia. But to kind of get to even this point where they jumped to 74 wins last year, they go another 10 wins this year. They're buyers at the deadline. They play meaningful games. They win meaningful games. The last three they haven't, but they beat up on the Cubs to get here. They swept the Giants to win the season series and kind of knocked them out of the postseason race. They won three out of four against the Reds earlier this month. So they won these huge games against their direct competition, and now they're going to the postseason and those teams are not because of those games. So it, it is a stark turnaround. It's it's very, very fast. Um, and so that's why it's it feels like this season's a success even. We'll see what happens in the postseason. Um, any postseason experience is welcomed, but... Um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty crazy accomplishment to go from where they were to where they are now. Uh, even if you know 84 wins gets you into the postseason, at that point it's like, yep, yeah, they got it and they beat the teams that they needed to beat in order to get it. And that's the headline: Diamondbacks heading to the postseason for the first time since 2017. Will it be the Brewers? Will it be the Phillies? Well, I know Alex is going to be uh, anxiously waiting to find out where he needs to buy a plane ticket to for Tuesday. I'm just happy I don't have to buy it on like Monday afternoon. Just... Yeah, right. I, I've always heard that uh, buying tickets on Tuesdays is best, but I suppose you can't wait that long. 
Uh, all right, let's see what happens with the Diamondbacks. Let's see who they end up playing. And we'll be back on the Ain't No Fang podcast to talk about it. For my good friend Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at Arizona Sports. Arizona Sports.